This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. there and welcome to Thank the Maker, a podcast about heroes, princesses, scoundrels, hokey religions, ancient weapons, and all things Star Wars. I'm your host, Adam Russell. Hey there. Is that what Obi-Wan says? Hey there. Hey, guys. I'm Nick. I'm the other host. Ryan is uh, absent this week. Fell off another cliff. Man. Dude. Those cliffs of Nashville. You gotta watch where you're walking. No matter how often we tell him to stay away from <laughs> cliff edges, he doesn't listen. <laughs> Here he is again. Oh, man. But he's not dead. We'll tell you that much. Yeah. Even though you're you're winking at me right now that he's not dead, and I'm using "not dead" in quotation marks. <laughs> Laser. <laughs> yeah, not dead. <laughs> he's actually um, he's just got a lot of stuff going on that he's dealing with right now, and didn't have as much time to prep as he would have liked. So it's a two dude podcast tonight. It's a Padawan and master, and you guys could decide who's who. You <laughs> shall decide. Or maybe we're just both Padawans. Let's go with that. Either way. Either way is fine. <laughs> this episode is number 51. Last week, we didn't have an episode because of life stuff again, but we're back. We all died last week. That's yeah. what happened there. And then we got put in that snow thing from Black Panther, and we came back to life, and everything's fine now. <laughs> I just watched that the other day. Good-ass movie. Oh, it's so good. I heard today that uh, there might be a Wakanda series happening on Disney+. Plus. That's the rumor. That's very dope. I'm about that. Especially after um, these past few, first four, I guess, episodes of WandaVision, I'm on board for whatever Marvel's doing. Yeah. It's very exciting because there's like confidence that, you know, it's going to be awesome. Yeah. And that seems nice. (laughs) (laughs) It seems awesome to be like, oh, everything else was awesome. So whatever they're doing must be awesome. Yeah. No wondering what's going to happen as far as like, will it be good or bad? Or will I like it? It's like, "Mm, I think we're in good hands here. So this week, we're talking about The Clone Wars Season 1, and we're now into the series we did on the last episode, The Clone Wars Feature Film. This will be the shortest stolen plans of all time. Here we go. What have you done with those plans? The Clone Wars Season 1 debuted October 3rd, 2008 on Cartoon Network, written and developed by George Lucas, Dave Filoni, of course. Uh, Stephen Melching was another big writer. Tons of writers on this show. Dave Filoni was the supervising director, but just like the writers, there were tons of directors. Too many to name. So many episodes. A lot more cooks in the kitchen than I would have expected, really. The majority of the cast from the feature film reprised their roles. Of course, Ashley Eckstein returned as Ahsoka Tano, Matt Lanter as Anakin Skywalker, James Arnold Taylor as Obi-Wan, and so many others. Same deal. Too many to list here. But a couple notable actors did not return. Corey Burton replaced Christopher Lee as the voice of Count Dooku, and Terrence T.C. Carson replaced Samuel L. Jackson as the voice of Mace Windu. And like I said, there's so much to cover with these 22 episodes that we decided to kind of whittle this down to about a half a dozen episodes, some of our favorites, crucial arcs and little bits that tell us the, the important stuff that we need to know about the characters and the world building. 
We then, of course, pulled the patrons to see what their favorites are. Those happen to line up with some of the picks that Nick has here. And we're going to speak kind of in broader brush strokes. Yeah, I think I think one thing that is very much so daunting about the Clone Wars is you look at how many episodes there are and how many seasons there are. And a lot of people don't want to spend the time because it's animation. And I think that the consensus out there is that not all of it is the most meaningful stuff. It is fun and there is character development stuff, but there's not too many episodes or arcs that really affect the overall galaxy as far as Star Wars goes. So definitely taking the approach here of kind of picking the episodes out of each season that really matter to the overall universe, or at least show something pretty big in like a character development sense or some situation with clones. Because I mean, clone character development is such a huge part of this entire series. So there's, there's definitely some episodes, especially in season one, that more so have to do with just the clones, which is pretty damn cool. And so interesting, you know, they're clones, <laughs> yeah. but we learned that they're so much more than clones or what you would think of a clone. You know, the word clone can be used as a derogatory term, robots, drones, clones, things like that. Yeah. But we see so much more about them and it just gets awesome. Yeah. I mean, they do refer to themselves as brothers. So yeah. you do kind of get under that helmet and see the relationship they have and that they're not Although we might view them and the Republic might view them as disposable, it's it's more like family and kind of brothers in arms there, which is uh, something they had to do to make this work, really. You know, it couldn't just be all Jedi versus Separatists all the time. There had to be clones that actually had personalities and clone main characters who you learn their names. So let's get into it. The overarching theme of this season is really about the war. It is the Clone Wars, so we're now getting into all the nitty-gritty of what it means for the entire galaxy to be at war. The war ultimately is between the Republic and the Separatists, as we know from the movies, but it gets, like I said, more into the nitty-gritty and what that actually means for some individual systems and where the allegiances fall, how they're built, how they're broken. There's a few story arcs that bring up the theme of societies not wanting to join at all, which is really interesting. And it makes, like we mentioned in the, um, did we talk about this in the last episode about the film, how all this could be seen sort of as Republic propaganda? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's not just a wild theory that somebody threw out. It really starts to feel like that. Like the writing reflects that. Yeah. I think that we see, you know, now that the Skywalker saga is done and that includes the Clone Wars, I think that you do see, and they've done a good job plugging in these holes, you see the Jedi losing their way. And I think that there's plenty of instances here where you see like the hero, Obi-Wan, the hero, Anakin, but then you see as a whole, the council losing their way with greatest Sith Lord of all time, manipulating them all into kind of making bad decisions and needing to participate in a war when they're supposed to be the protectors of peace and justice. But Palpatine's pushing all those buttons and and kind of making them stray further and further from the plot. Yeah, they really, they really stray from that protectors of the peace role. And we, of course, see this later in the series, how they're fully caught up. And I mean, even Yoda, like his ability, it's it's like almost like a running joke in the Clone Wars, how in the movies, how Yoda, for being the wisest Jedi alive, just doesn't see the biggest stuff, the most obvious stuff, doesn't see it coming at all, doesn't give great advice to Anakin a lot. It really fully is the downfall of the Jedi. And we see it unfold in great detail with this. Agreed. 
I guess the the one thing I would say about the season one and just about what your your point is that it's not necessarily um they don't beat you over the head with it. You do. I feel like you have to look for it a little bit because it is still supposed to be like a, you know, a show for a little bit of a younger audience. So they don't dive into that story arc over the overarching theme there of the Jedi losing their way. They don't really dive into it in a, here's what this episode is about, but there's plenty of instances where you see it over the course of seven seasons. For sure. And they, and they definitely present things as not so binary like mm-hmm. they are traditionally in the films. I mean, Star Wars started as a very binary good versus evil kind of story. And not much about this series is that. So as much as it is for kids and they, and they tried to keep it easily digestible by kids, all of those undertones, all of those themes are, are in there all the time. There's no easy or right answer a lot of times. And we even see that with the clones and their development. Like we said, there's so much about them mentioned some systems not wanting to join, being very bummed on what the Republic is doing from their point of view. Yeah, there's at least two arcs, I would say, or two episodes. Uh, I think they're arcs where it you kind of are in a catch-22. And, yeah. and the people bring up, whether it's the pacifist, the little uh, cat people, the Lermans, <laughs> I want to say, yeah. I think that they're called them. And then the the Twi'leks mm-hmm. led by yeah. Cham Syndulla is just kind of, they have a great point. How do you expect to have peace and justice while you're fighting a war? And it's just not easy. It's just not an easy answer because if you don't fight, then you get crushed. So you have to fight. Right. <laughs> but then you're not <laughs> a peaceful uh, <laughs> council there. So it's yeah. really, uh, it's a tough situation they're in. And overall, lots of characters and species. We see this huge, huge universe that allows for this kind of stuff where planets that are just, they're like small towns, essentially. Mm-hmm. It really shows the scale of the war. It's reaching every nook and cranny of the entire galaxy. It's not just about the Skywalkers. It's complex, like we said. So let's get into what we feel are the essential episodes. We'll do a little brief overview. We'll talk about why it's important. We should probably list somewhere, we could just put it in the show notes, these episodes just by number and name yeah, and not say much more. But nonetheless, we'll discuss them now. The first one, episode four, Destroy Malevolence. This is the uh, episode, the end of a three-part storyline that resulted in uh, General Grievous' ship, which is called the Malevolence, uh, being attacked by Republic Star Destroyers, led by General Anakin Skywalker and Obi-Wan Kenobi. Kind of the, the how this arc ends is the Malevolence's hyperdrive is damaged, making it hard for Grievous to escape. So Grievous gets some help from Count Dooku, who has sent Padme on a diplomatic mission to negotiate with a banking clan. And this whole idea of Dooku helping out Grievous and then Padme getting sent by, guess who? Palpatine as kind of, you know, the bait for a trap. So you're seeing the end of this arc here where the the Separatists led by Dooku and, and Grievous are kind of losing this one battle, but then the greatest Sith Lord of all time kind of throws in that bait and screws up everything for, uh, for the Republic there. So Sidious knows that at very least this will be a distraction for the Jedi to uh, have Padme kind of being thrust into the middle of the battle. But then Grievous uses her as a bargaining piece. And you do just wind up seeing... Uh, Anakin kind of lose it when he realizes that Padme has been used as a, a piece here. Yeah, and there's a moment where he reacts to it pretty strongly, right? And yeah. he says, what does he say? He like catches himself. I think he goes to call her Padme, 
But then yeah. but Sopsi's like, I mean, Queen Amidala or Senator yeah. Amidala. And remember at this point, they are married. Right, yeah. So this whole series, these two are married. So uh, there's a lot of hiding that because yeah. even up until the top of Revenge of the Sith, not very many people actually know. Yeah. Maybe besides 3PO and R2. <laughs> right. Well, I guess we see in season seven that Rex and Obi-Wan kind of do know. But yeah, it's such a crazy little situation that Palpatine winds up being the puppet master where he sees that Dooku and Grievous are about to lose this battle. And here we go. Padme, I need you to go and negotiate with the banking clan. And then the coordinates that Palpatine gave Padme were directly into the middle of the battle. Yeah. She's in distress. Anakin has to save his wife, but also cover up the fact that she is his wife. Greatest Sith Lord of all time. <laughs> Next one, the episode following this, episode five, Rookies. This one's all about clones, some favorites, some fan favorite clones that we see a bunch throughout the series. Yeah, this is uh, episode five, but it's the first time you get to really dive deep with uh, character development for clones, which is obviously a, a huge thing throughout the whole series. But uh, in this one, the clone rookies, or shinies, as Captain Rex will call them, uh, <laughs> yeah. the rookies, Heavy, Echo, Fives, Droid Bait, and Cut Up, they're all <laughs> stationed on a listening outpost on the Rishi system, Moon, where they're tasked with keeping an eye on the Separatists who may want to attack the outpost in order to gain access to and attack Kamino, which is nearby and obviously where the cloning facilities are. Can we just pause to acknowledge the fact that one of these dudes is named... <laughs> droid bait yeah for real i'm gonna guess i don't really have a exact memory i'm gonna guess he's the one who dies <laughs> i'm gonna guess he didn't give that name to himself yeah it's kind of rude all right so character development clones have a sense of humor <laughs> right so they, they, they wind up uh, on this outpost tracking a meteor shower that actually has some separate destroyed transports embedded in it and a little attack ensues and I, I think why this one's important, you know, again, we, we see the character development and we start to see individuality in clones. You get to see the hierarchy of Cody and Rex kind of being the some of the main guys who are kind of in charge of the, all the other clones. So, yeah, I think that's just a good way to dive feet first into learning. There's different color-coded clones and different battalions. So, you know, for instance, Rex is blue and Cody is orange. And with a real stretch, Commander Gree is green. <laughs> <laughs> Cryptic. Yeah, must have come up with that after weeks and weeks of deliberation. <laughs> Pretty much that's it. This is a big character development episode for, for the clones. I'm a big, big fan of this one. I, I didn't expect, I, I think like probably most people, I didn't expect to be as invested in the clones as I became throughout this. So now having seen the whole thing going back, I really, really liked this episode. I became a big fan of Fives. I have one of my bases, a five-string is named Fives. <laughs> awesome. So I love this one. Yeah. Of this episode, Echo and Fives uh, go on to be throughout the remaining seasons and, and play pivotal roles. So this is the first time you, you actually do wind up seeing them in a, in a prominent role. Next episode is right after this in sequence. Next one in our essential picks, episode six, Downfall of a Droid. So this episode here is the first of a, a little two-episode arc that kind of revolves around R2 a little bit. But why I think this first one is important is Grievous and Separatists, uh, they have the upper hand in a battle against Anakin in the Republic in the Bathawi system. Bathawui. 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 
so Obi-Wan suggests pulling the fleet out of the battle, but Anakin is being a little uh, stubborn and a little vadery. Being Anakin about it? <laughs> yeah. Uh, and he has a plan to defeat Grievous. And although Anakin's plan destroys the droid army, Grievous actually escapes and uh, Anakin pursues him, which is a little tidbit about this we'll talk about later, which is very interesting. But Anakin's pursuing him in a little space battle. And uh, there's a bunch of shrapnel in space. And a piece of the shrapnel actually pierces Anakin's fighter and causes him to lose control of the fighter. So whatever that piece of shrapnel that was, uh, it did something to his ship. There must have been some sort of explosion that was unexplained. They don't show it. There's just a flash and he winds up in a med bay. There you see Ahsoka. Ahsoka informs him that the plan worked. But Grievous escaped, as he always does. Really creepy. He, I hate when he, like, goes on all fours and just, like, skirts away. Right. It's real creepy. <laughs> so she also informs him, and this is where kind of the, the two-episode arc really has its uh, major plot point, is uh, she informs that R2 is gone. Is R2 blown up? Who knows? But Anakin really starts to show an attachment to R2, which obviously is not okay for a Jedi to show any attachment. Especially to a droid, of all things. Yeah, exactly. There, it's kind of like, uh, there's kind of two reasons here why Anakin is attached. Yes, he's attached in like a friendship way to R2, but R2 has never had his memory erased. So R2 has some battle plans for the Republic hidden in his memory bank. And uh, mm-hmm. it's not good if R2 is out there in like a prisoner sense, which they don't really, you know, when they're saying that he's gone, they're kind of just saying like, he's gone, don't worry about it. It's just an astromech, who cares? But Anakin is not going to let his friend R2 go. But then also the way he talks Obi-Wan into letting him go and look for R2 is saying that his memory is not erased. So Obi-Wan is like, go get that droid, dude. <laughs> we need R2 back. If, if, yeah. if those battle plans wind up in, in the Separatist hands, that ain't good. Yeah, it, Obi-Wan just completely unapproving across the board. Like, number one, you shouldn't be attached to a droid like this. Number two, and more importantly, what the hell are you doing not wiping this droid's memory? This is just insane to leave this kind of information accessible like that. And in, in this very conversation right here, there's this great moment where it kind of cuts to Ahsoka as Anakin's talking to Obi-Wan over the hollow, and you can see Ahsoka you know, kind of watching back and forth, like ping pong style between the two. And she's trying to work out who's right. Yeah. Because she's seeing her master and her master's former master arguing about this. And she's having to learn and absorb this information and make her own judgment. And it's really important for her because ultimately she becomes, like we've talked about this quite a bit, a better version of Anakin. You know what yeah, I mean? Absolutely. She goes through a lot of the same stuff. She has the same issues with attachment, but she deals with it completely differently. So from the very beginning, here we are forming Ahsoka's character that will completely inform the interactions we see at the very end of this series and Rebels and everything else. It's, yeah. so, it's so sick. And don't worry, obviously R2 was fine. <laughs> but this does, why I like this is this does kind of get that through line of R2 never having his memory erased. So he kind of yeah. actually knows all of the Skywalker saga and all the secrets. Besides the battle plans for the Republic, I think it's more important that he's just been there for every single thing. He's he's literally just one of us. Everything we've seen, R2's seen. <laughs> he knows what happened a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. <laughs> we got to get him on the show you think we get r2 on the show <laughs> dude his schedule's probably packed you know but you never know stars could align we've had other droids on before have we no i hear them chirp every once in a while 
Next in our essential episode list, we're jumping to episode 11, Dooku Captured. Count Dooku. Count Dooku with his face that's what? How, how, how big would you say his face is? Two feet long? <laughs> like a really long football yeah. kind of thing. Smushed. So funny. If there's ever a character in, from the prequels who needed a little bit more development, it's Dooku, and Clone Wars definitely helps, yeah. uh, and especially in this episode. So Anakin and Obi-Wan are hunting for Dooku, and after a brief altercation, Dooku ambushes them, traps them in a cave, and while the Jedi are trapped in the cave, Dooku comes across a band of pirates, weak, weak way pirates, I should say, uh, headed by Hondo Anaka. Dooku winds up leaving the planet with the pirates willingly, but Hondo being a pirate and kind of being a opportunist, I would say, uh, he double crosses him in hopes for a, re- a reward from either the Separatists or the Republic. So he kind of plays both sides and says, hey, Separatist, you want your boy Dooku back? I got him. And then he goes in to the Republic and says, hey, I have this war criminal. You want him? Right. That's where we get to see uh, Hondo kind of be that like DJ from The Last Jedi vibe. You know, right, like yeah. kind of just that like opportunist. I don't want to say he's good or bad or down the middle or anything it's kind of hondo at this point is very much so uh what could you do for me i'll do whatever as long as i i I benefit from it this is uh the first episode with hondo who i didn't even know admittedly i'm sorry didn't even know was a character from clone wars until after i had been to galaxy's edge which (laughs) i'm now super embarrassed about just don't tell anyone dude (laughs) (laughs) nobody tell anyone (laughs) but it's uh it's cool for all the reasons you said Hondo being kind of just an opportunist and that part about his character actually is key in some of the things that the Jedi do in the next episode, which isn't on our list, but is, is kind of part of this short two, two episode arc, I guess. And then Hondo himself develops. I don't know how deep we want to go into that, but there, there's a, a cool thing with Obi-Wan, Anakin and Dooku all kind of like tethered together. It shows that I, I think that it winds up showing that it's kind of bizarre when you think about these are like literal the heads of both of these, both sides of the armies, and they actually have to work together to kind of escape being tethered together. And Hondo just has the upper hand as far as them all being captured. Yeah. And there is some sort of like odd camaraderie between Dooku, Anakin, and Obi-Wan, where I think at the end of it's either 11 or 12, there's a chance for them to take Dooku away. And Obi-Wan's like, no, let him go. It's really kind of bizarre. It's like almost you could have gotten the leader of the opposition, but they chose to let him go. It's weird, but it works in the episode. It is strange considering at the very end, episode three time, it was all about like, finally Dooku's dead and, and now this can finally happen. You know, it. Well, it makes moments like Anakin beheading Dooku in Revenge of the Sith. It makes it, if you really want to sit down and think about it, it makes it more heavy, you know? It makes it not as easy as a decision as you might think or as it was portrayed and executed in Revenge of the Sith. It's moments like these where this is also after Dooku cut Anakin's arm off. Yeah. (laughs) So there's almost, I don't know if diplomacy is the right word, but there's some kind of diplomacy or camaraderie or something where, I don't know, for instance, if you put like, Biden and Kim Jong-un in the same room. They're (laughs) not just going to kill each other. They're going to like talk about things, you know? But you make a really good point about it making it a harder decision and gnarlier for Anakin to actually have cut his head off considering the fact that Dooku falls. We're now talking about episode 12 now. We're we're off the damn path already. (laughs) But Dooku falls and Obi-Wan grabs his hand and keeps him from falling to his death because it's not the Jedi way. Mm -hmm. Just like it, it ends up 
being the very thing that Anakin thinks I shouldn't kill him. It's not the Jedi way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it adds gravity to that. The one thing you have there, the ultimate thing is Palpatine's do it. Yep. You know, it's like it's it's just that little bit of manipulation. It's like the the stamp of approval. Yes, kill Dooku and Palpatine gets his way there. Son of a bitch. <laughs> that takes us to the next one, which is episode 13, Jedi Crash. This is a good one. There's some really cool stuff in this. Yeah, this one gets to that kind of heavy question of are the Jedi doing the right thing? Like, yes, obviously they're the good guys. They want peace and justice, but how they're going about it is in question to a lot of uh, systems and planets and races of aliens out there. This actually winds up being a little bit more of like a Ala Sakura and Ahsoka episode. Uh, so Sakura and her public fleet are outnumbered against the Separatist fleet in the Quell system. Anakin and Ahsoka come to her aid, but face a, a pretty dire situation there that, that leads to Anakin becoming uh, pretty gravely injured. Like he's just just out. Fully unconscious, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So after navigation malfunction that has their ship like heading straight for a star, the ship alters its course and the crash lands on the planet of Miradun. So Sokin, Isla, and a group of clones head out in order to find help for Anakin, you know, medicine, any sort of like med bay or anything to help Anakin because he's, like I said, just out of it. They come across a peaceful race of uh, beings called the Lerman, which are those little cat-like alien people. With sweet beards. <laughs> Yeah. And uh, the village elder is skeptical of the Jedi, basically citing that violence breeds more violence and that if they want uh, freedom and peace, it shouldn't require fear and death. And, you you know, you just really start to be like, hey, that dude's not wrong. But yeah, really, you're not dealing with a situation where all things are equal. If the Jedi don't fight, they'll be crushed. And if the Republic right. doesn't fight, it'll be crushed. So I understand where the, that village elder is coming from. And a couple episodes later, we'll understand where like the, the Twi'leks led by Champs and Dula are coming from, but it's just not that easy. Yeah. It just really isn't that easy in the midst of a war to try to be the better man because that's seen as weakness. And that, exactly what you're saying right there, really demonstrates how the Jedi got on the slippery slope to their downfall is knowing that they can't just choose pacifism. They are keepers of the peace, but then that escalates or slips further down the slope into them becoming these soldiers that have to make these tactical military type decisions. And they find themselves in these conversations where you would think historically as Jedi, they would side with these cat people with the beards. Yeah. You know, I mean, it it just shows the inner conflict. This episode in particular shows the inner conflict that I kind of get the sense that like most, if not all Jedi have when it comes to attachment and Ahsoka's attachment to Anakin and wanting to save Anakin as opposed to like saving the greater good. She mm-hmm. wants to save her master because of her attachment. So she just kind of questions how she can be compassionate without attachment. And yeah. Isla Secura basically says she went through the same process. And, yeah. and there's a choice that needs to be made there. She lays it out in terms of numbers. She's like, you can't threaten thousands of lives for one person, even yeah. if he is your master, even if he is the chosen one, as far as the council is concerned. And again, Ahsoka, she doesn't choose either or. Yeah, She goes for like the nuance in between, which ultimately leads to this battle and all of these other people being in danger, but she's not just going to say fully yes or fully no. She's going to fight as hard as she can, literally and figuratively, to not have to make that call. It's kind of like, hey, I could make a decision in the next minute. Do I save him or do I not? Or do I formulate a plan where everything happens? Exactly, yeah. (laughs) I always have that thing where people say, 
I would die for this person. I would give my life for this person. And to me, the majority of the time, I'm thinking, it's like a false dichotomy. Yeah. When is there going to be a scenario where it's literally like, this person dies or this person dies, you get to pick. Yeah. <laughs> if anything, I would just, even if I was tied to a chair, I'd try to jump and, and <laughs> headbutt somebody and yeah. do something, not just be like, yep, pull the trigger on somebody. And, and that's kind of what Ahsoka is doing here. Like, no, mm-hmm. I'm not just going to decide without trying. And, and again, you kind of brought it up earlier where she's becoming the better version of Anakin. It's funny to say, but like in a weird way, Jedi are dealing in absolutes. And there's that line where Sith yeah. only deal in absolutes. And it's like, how is there not wiggle room here to do both and, and save Anakin, but also listen to the village elder and be like, uh, yeah, you know, you're right, but here we are. We can't just stop this war or else we lose. And then right. worse things will happen. <laughs> All right, next on the list, we've got two episodes kind of combined because they are they're a two-part episode. So episodes 20 and 21, The Innocence of Ryloth and Liberty on Ryloth. Yeah, I think there's actually a third episode. It might be episode 19. So there's this whole arc about separatists on Ryloth, which is a homeworld of the Twi'lek. So separatists have occupied the planet of Ryloth and uh, Obi-Wan and Commander Cody head down to liberate a specific city uh, called Nabat in order to give the Republic a landing zone so they could start their attack and free the uh, Twi'lek people from the separatists. So the droid army that's actually occupying uh, Ryloth are using disgustingly, the Twi'lek as living shields. So that kind of makes a little bit of a problem for the Republic as far as uh, what their plan could be to actually liberate these people. So Mace Windu gets support from a local leader called uh, Cham Syndulla, and uh, his lineage winds up being uh, pretty important to the rest of the Star Wars uh, galaxy here. But Cham Syndulla is a little bit, I want to say almost like a Saga era, like he's a little bit of a off-the-beaten-path rebel leader, you know, pre-rebellion rebel leader. And he wants a free Ryloth. He wants it free from separatists. He wants it free from the Republic. He wants it free from everyone. He wants to be an independent system. So Cham's just cautious and worried that eventually on Ryloth, even if the separatists leave, Ryloth won't be free because there might be an armed Republic occupation. So again, you're kind of in that that same uh, idea of there's just going to be some systems, some people who just don't think the separatists or the Republic are going to do any good. So they want to be independent. There are a few things that I really love about these couple episodes. One, I love seeing the Twilight people in all of their varieties of colors and everything. Their, their planet kind of looks like shit at this point because it's, yeah. been, it's been just destroyed by all this war. But one, you mentioned Cham Syndulla being really relevant to later stuff. Should we mention this now? Yeah. I mean, we can still talk about it later, but we can mention it. Syndulla, the name should be familiar to anyone who has seen Rebels. Hera Syndulla is one of the stars of Rebels and Cham is her father. So being sort of the father of this rebellion here, and or at least the, the one who, who plants the seeds, makes her who she is. And it's just so sweet. Whether or not they had the intention of going as far as they did with Rebels or not, it's still just so dope to see the threads over decades in these stories. Yeah, I mean, she was literally born into the rebellion and she wound up being, I mean, arguably more important than her father was, but the, her father wound up being a revolutionary and, and kind of a huge spark, I think, to the rebellion as we know it. And his daughter got to lead the ghost crew into rebels. She just wound up being like a, a fan favorite as far as 
animation goes and just overall Star Wars characters. She's she's in Squadrons too, right? Yes. So yeah, she's just one of those characters, kind of similar to like a Sabine, a little lesser than Ahsoka, but just these strong characters that come from animation or video games or novels or whatever. Hera has a whole through line because her dad was one of the first revolutionaries. Another little thing, a behind the scenes thing that I thought was really, really cool from the stuff that's with the Clone Wars season one DVDs, they break down every single episode and a lot of the uh, the stuff in Den of Antiquities later that we'll talk about came from this, but I think this is worth mentioning now. There's a little girl, a little Twilight girl who the clones have to kind of take care of and protect throughout, uh, I can't remember if it's 20 or 21. I want to say it's 19 because I think 20 and 21 are... Either way, it's this, this little girl and Filoni talked about how much he loved the idea of a soldier and a child and the soldier having to kind of break that kill, kill, kill kind of like yeah. war mentality. And not only protect, but be sort of like a, a parental figure for a moment with this child and the child being scared and everything. The main reason I think it's really cool is it really makes me wonder how this informed developing the Mandalorian. Yeah. With Favreau. That's a good point. All right. Last in our list of essentials in the Clone Wars season one is, of course, the season finale, episode 22, Hostage Crisis. So yeah, Hostage Crisis actually is like a standalone finale, which is interesting. So in the finale, uh, we're introduced to bounty hunter Cad Bane, which is an excellent, excellent villain bounty hunter. I hate his damn hat. I wish they never put that hat on him. <laughs> I love his hat, dude. I mean, it's just too, my thing with Star Wars being too on the nose, where it's just like, we got a Western style gunslinger. He's got a toothpick and a hat. You know, I'm like, ah, just too away with one of those things please <laughs> but he's he's awesome i mean he he was fully like directly inspired from i can't remember which western but lucas told this is maybe in den of antiquities but lucas told feloni i want it to be this person from this western with this voice or something mm -hmm. he gave him two direct inspirational yeah. points to, to base him on the hat aside, I think Cad Bane's an amazing character. He's, he's dope. So he's he's very cunning. I want to say his voice is awesome as far as like just production goes, uh, and he just really gets the job done. It, in in a weird way, he's he has these kind of like tricks to him that almost are like you know how like Mandalorians needed like jetpacks and flamethrowers and all this stuff to combat the Jedi. I feel like Cad Bane has all these little tricks to do the same thing, but he's not a Mandalorian. There was something about. Again, in the, in the behind-the-scenes stuff, Lucas mentioned that everything about the way this, the dude is suited up and everything is with intention to be able to fight Jedi. Mm -hmm. Like, he's got uh, something about his neck guard, you know, is, is extra reinforced, all this kind of stuff. He's He's got a thing with the Jedi. He wants to throw down. Well, I mean, they're the ultimate cops in the galaxy, so he's got to, if he's going to be a bad guy, he's got to be able to compete with them. So Cad Bane leads a group of other bounty hunters into the Senate building in Coruscant, most notice, notably Aura Singh, who is in, I think up until this point, just like an establishing shot in The Phantom Menace, but she wound up being a, a pretty badass bounty hunter that got her character developed, not only in animation, but in comics and, and novels and all that type of stuff. So uh, this group of bounty hunters takes uh, hostages in the Senate just to open a line of communication with Chancellor Palpatine and... Their whole objective here is demanding that our pal returning from the movie, Zero the Hut, 
gets released from from captivity. So, aka Cartman. Yeah. <laughs> so it's 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 a cool episode because I think you get to see Cad Bane be a badass and kind of actually be a worthwhile villain who has a plan, completes his plan, and is a worthy adversary to the Jedi. And you wonder how much Palpatine actually knew, how much Palpatine was actually caught off guard here, which is so sweet. And they don't they don't ever really answer that. And that, that kind of stuff happens throughout the series. So it's just that much more fun, I think, to wonder. Either way it goes, it's cool. Yeah. Either he orchestrated the whole thing and he's acting, or he didn't and he's acting. <laughs> you <Yeah>. know? <laughs> yeah. Or he sees it as like a thorn in his side or a little bit of a threat. Like, hey, I have a plan here. Don't screw this up. Yeah. So it could go either way and it's never really explained. It's kind of up to us to decide. But I, I, I like this episode just because uh, there's some good relationship development stuff for Padme and Anakin at the top where Anakin is trying to like, uh, I guess, plan a little bit of a trip, a little getaway, a little lover's yeah, yeah. escape. <laughs> and Padme being Padme, she's she's caught up in Senate stuff. She has actual political duties that she she's concentrating on and Anakin just wants to go screw around somewhere. So in order for Anakin to kind of show Padme how serious he is about their marriage, he goes into this whole spiel about how Obi-Wan gave him a spiel about how important his lightsaber is to a Jedi. You know, that whole, like, this weapon is your life, that whole thing. Yeah, he quotes it. So he makes the point to Padme that the lightsaber is one of the most important things in his life and most important things to a Jedi, and he gives her the lightsaber. It's kind of a little bit of a development there where... Yes, they want to have a getaway, but they can't because everything's a secret. But here's proof of how much I love you. Here's my lightsaber. I will give it to you. It's, yeah. it's pretty awesome. And then she's standing there as a hostage with <laughs> yeah. a lightsaber. Which she has to hide because she has to, she can't let anyone know that she has it because they'd be like, where'd you get that from? They're like, oh yeah, my husband gave it to me. <laughs> yeah, well, she mentions it and whoever she's standing next to is like, where'd you get that? And she's like, oh, it's Anakin, uh, um, uh, Master Skywalker's. Yeah. Um, <laughs> You know, like same thing that he did episodes ago, slipping with with a name thing. Yeah. They're living a lie. <laughs> so that wraps up our, our kind of essential episodes. I have a few kind of honorable mentions, some points that I think are cool in some other episodes that I'll try to say as quickly as possible. There are a couple episodes pretty close to each other where Ahsoka kind of gets in over her head with a fight. In episode seven, Duel of the Droids, she faces off against Grievous, super overly confident, ends up almost being killed, but escapes. You know, it's, it's kind of, she doesn't win the fight for sure. She just escapes. Again, that's baby Anakin vibes. And then in episode nine, she faces off against Ventress and same thing, just like in over her head, Luminara ends up coming to her rescue. That's some more really good mentorship from someone other than Anakin in Luminara that character also just looks awesome. Yeah, she's great. Clone Wars. Yeah, Ahsoka, I mean, this is just season one and like the biggest, up until this point, the biggest sample size of Ahsoka. And she puts herself in, in danger a lot and really does put herself in like almost a sacrificial point a lot, which is interesting because we made the point that she's not willing to give up someone like Anakin, yeah. but she's willing to give herself up in a lot of instances. Yeah. So there's a, there are plenty of points where Anakin's just not willing to give up on Ahsoka. So I, I think they both have, I mean, it's conflict. And that's the story of the Jedi that we've been told is that there's conflict. So yeah. they're just doubling down on in the entirety of the Clone Wars that these Jedi just, they're being manipulated. They're losing their way, but 
there is still that code that they're trying to follow and it just becomes harder and harder. Speaking of, Ahsoka in this, in this episode nine kind of mentor vibe with Luminara tries to go bad cop on Newt Gunray and threatens him at lightsaber point. I forgot what she says, but it's really funny. And <laughs> Luminara straight up grabs her by the arm and she's like, Ahsoka, get over here. She's like, she says, terror is not a weapon the Jedi use. And Ahsoka's clearly like, what? Like, we do this shit all the time. Yeah. Basically, like, <laughs> yeah. from being she's with like, Anakin. I didn't really so, mean it. <laughs> it's just, it is. Uh, Isn't uh, this just how we do it? Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was really cool. It's pretty funny. Episode 10, we did mention, but there's a bunch of Grievous backstory. And this ended up being one of, one of the favorites, actually, from the polls. It's really fucking cool to see at least a glimpse into how Grievous became what he became and why. We see his home, his castle, his house, whatever the hell you want to call it. And he's got all this extra armor, all these extra body parts and stuff. There are all these statues in there that show his progression from a normal organic being to a mostly robotic being. I mean, it's, it's really quick, but if you pause, you can see each individual, I don't know, there's a handful of them, a statue where it's his face. It's not that weird mask. It's all this different stuff. And it's really cool. Basically, he just... He was obsessed with the idea of becoming a Jedi or a Sith, but he knew he wasn't Force-sensitive, so that's why he started augmenting himself with all the robotic stuff. And it's just it, it's way cooler than just, hey, here's the bad guy who's just bad. Yeah, and he's coughing. Right. It's like, what? Who's this guy? <laughs> and lastly, on my kind of honorable mentions list, episode 16, The Hidden Enemy, it's about a clone who... Clones gone bad. Clones gone wild. Um, <laughs> Topless clones. <laughs> it raises the question about, well, it's, it's really, it's about clone individualism. We learn a lot about that here, but this is kind of the most extreme example because one just basically says, I'm done just answering to the Jedi. I want a life for myself. I want something more. And it raises the question, how did that factor into some clones responding to Order 66. Yeah. Not just their chip telling them to do it. Were some more inclined to just pull the trigger because they already had this kind of like these years of kind of maybe resenting the Jedi's rule over them, sick of just being their sort of their whipping boys that just do their bidding, that just take their orders. Another thing that I don't think I don't think I know the answer to, but uh, I guess it's a possibility. Some clones don't come in contact with Jedis or don't have a relationship with Jedis. They just are yeah. amongst the battalion. And yeah, I could see how that would wind up being, you know, they would wind up being resentful if they if they themselves just felt like a clone and that they were expendable. Because you get to have, you get to see that relationship with like Anakin, Ahsoka, and Rex and Cody and Obi-Wan. And those are like, they're dudes, you know, they're clones. So there's thousands and thousands if not millions of other clones who might not have that relationship ever so it might have been easier for those clones to just pull the trigger when order 66 happened and then we see in season seven how rex was able to fight it off for a little bit yeah oh we might as well just speculate that that's because he has a a relationship with ahsoka and and other jedi so but he still had to pull the trigger eventually (laughs) all right let's move on to the den of antiquities 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Den of Antiquities. We're flipping things. We're challenging convention in this episode. Since Nick. I've been evicted. <laughs> evicted from the Den. Yeah, Nick's been kicked off a cliff. <laughs> Since, uh,. Nick did a lot of this synopsis stuff. I ended up doing more with the Den of Antiquities. So we're just, dude, we're changing it up, kids. Here we go. Something that's cool that's mentioned, we don't actually see this on screen until later in the series, but there's a mention of Plo Koon being the Jedi who brought Ahsoka to the Jedi Temple. So we get that early here. And then I can't remember what season or what scene, but we do see it later. Yeah, that's coming out for sure. Uh, It's the gathering with the younglings later in the series anyway that's cool it's always cool to find out who's who was whose padawan who was whose master it's fun stuff i like that in in episode five rookies the clones are hanging out listening to the radio armed forces radio (laughs) it's hilarious it's just like dudes in a barracks just chilling listening to the radio yeah there's like pinup you know pinups on the wall yeah (laughs) it's pretty funny nick noticed something about the music what is it Oh, it's absolutely probably like one note off away from being absolutely like they could have gotten sued for this. It's Grandmaster Flash, the message. (laughs) (laughs) It's the same like sound bank, whether it's synth or something. It's the exact same thing. You know, we, we, we always say like the difference between like George Lucas and John Favreau is like George Lucas will be like, do exactly this. And Favreau will be like, do this, but don't do that. Exactly. Right. Yeah. This must have been like George Lucas be like, uh, yeah, I don't know. Make them uh, a sound, like, make them listen to something that sounds like The Message by Grandmaster Flash. And someone is, is like, that? Uh, okay. <laughs> just, just make it that. Yeah. <laughs> but faster and more intense. <laughs> <laughs> One thing that I think is also funny is that, and we neither of us realized this until we watched the behind the scenes and it was pointed out to us, Anakin and Grievous never meet in all seven seasons of Clone Wars. And you see some some really fun trickery in, in season one where it's just like one of them comes in a door as the other one's going out. They're like f- feet away from each other. Yeah. Or in a space battle. So like they're both in ships because the, the, right. the issue here is that the reason why they can't meet is because there's a line in Revenge of the Sith where Anakin says... Uh, General Grievous. Yeah, you're much... You're shorter than I expected. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. just because of that, you have seven seasons of them not meeting. <laughs> yeah. It's so funny. They're the same dude is what it comes down to. Yeah. Hannah Montana and Miley Cyrus. <laughs> Episode three, there's a, a Republic medical base that they show up to. You never actually see this on screen. Well, you see it on screen, but you don't see it from the right angle. But if you look, you can still kind of work it out. If you were to, to take that base and look at it directly from the top, it forms the shape of the Republic logo of that symbol. Yeah, it's so cool. Such a good detail that yeah. is actually unseeable. 
<laughs> they do talk a lot about in, in in these behind the scenes clips. They call them like building sets, even though it's all digital. Yeah. Like they talk about how they take into consideration the size of things. And I, that never even occurred to me that, you know, they were talking about in one scene, I want to say maybe they were talking about Ryloth, about having like basically needing to build the Grand Canyon and then needing to go in and put details in the Grand Canyon. And it was almost literally yeah. that size. And I'm like, wow, what? Like the set you built digitally was actually yeah. that big, like to scale. It's crazy. And they'll refer to making these episodes as shooting. Yeah. It's filmmaking. They're not just dicking around with computers. <laughs> Episode four, I'm just going to go in chronological order. Mm-hmm. Episode four, when the malevolence comes out of hyperspace, it crashes into a planet. Exactly like Han Solo said would happen without precise calculations. And that was fully on purpose. They just thought it would be cool. Like, oh, let's see what actually happens if you don't do that right. Yeah. And here it is. Episode seven, Goldie. This is the the one about the uh, droids going wild. The the bad guy, astromech droid, that's working for Grievous to sabotage everything. He, tried, he tries to kill Anakin and so on. He's got a black and gold paint job. And that's Filoni's tribute to the Pittsburgh Steelers. He and his brother are, are big fans. They like the sports ball. This is their favorite <laughs> sports ball squad. So that's his tribute. Yeah, we definitely see uh, in the behind the scenes more so of like Mandalorian. You see him wearing like Pittsburgh Penguins stuff. I mean, Pittsburgh's one of those cities. Is it the only city where all the sports teams match like color colorways? I'm the wrong person to give you the answer. <laughs> he said Steelers in this instant, but obviously we, we've seen him in the Mandalorian behind the scenes wearing Pittsburgh Penguins paraphernalia. On the subject of color... Episode 9, we see Luminara's lightsaber. It's incorrect, and they knew it was incorrect. Mm. So it's actually Plo Koon's lightsaber in her hand. But the only difference, because hers is essentially identical, the only difference is a gold base or a pommel at the bottom. His is silver all the way through. But apparently they just didn't have enough time in production to finish it. But later, at some point they did. I guess not until subsequent seasons because she doesn't come back after this she's just in the one right either way it's just one of those things where and they were very candid in these behind the scenes things about production like the uh, the hoods when they're on the ice planet they have kind of the furry trim Mm -hmm. the computers then just couldn't render actual fur yet so they had to be just like chunky wiggling yeah (laughs) fur-esque kind of things and as soon as they pointed out pointed it out i could not look at it and all it looked like was jello to me yeah i mean it's really just another chapter in the book of george lucas wanting things that aren't invented yet and needing to invent them because i feel like they mentioned by the end of the season they are able to do more things because they had previously done it earlier in the season so they had that learning experience episode 11 this is the first time we see an actual gundark on screen, throwing back to Han's line about ripping the ears off a of Gundark yeah. and the Empire Strikes Back after he gets out of the tank. Yeah. And they talked about designing the Gundark and they had all these different concept drawings and there was there was one from something else that they were kind of basing it on. But when it came down to it, they knew that regardless of what vibe they went with, it, it had to have visible ears Yeah, <laughs> to make it work with the line. Yeah, But you know what though? On second thought, what if the Gundark was just a menace and had small ears and it's almost like Hans being like even wittier like yeah <laughs> if it didn't have ears at all I mean it could have went either way but 
this was another thing where a lot of those behind the scenes clips are in my head. They said it so many times, this scenario where they were like, well, George wanted, well, George wanted this, George wanted that. (laughs) And I'm like, I just pictured Lucas on the phone being like, I want a gun dark and I want it to be this big. Make sure it has ears. Bye. (laughs) You know? (laughs) And then they're like, well, I guess we gotta do this now. And then they show it to him. They put all the weeks of work into it and he goes, that's pretty good. Yeah. (laughs) That's it. Episode 12, there's a senator who dies. It's a senator from, I can't remember what planet. Point being, the senator has a staff, and it is straight up modeled after the staff of Ra from Raiders of the Lost Ark. It's the one that Jar Jar puts on his grave after he dies. Mm-hmm. The only thing they left out is like the jewel in it, yeah. but it's straight up the same thing. And that's probably more of like, uh, they just couldn't do it, you know, like they didn't leave. I don't know that they left it out necessarily on purpose, but, and this is one of two, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark Easter eggs in this season. We'll get the other one in a bit. Episode 14, there's a separatist, a Nemodian general who's kind of lumpy looking. His name is (laughs) Lock Durd, which all I could hear is, it just sounds like turd. Yeah, absolutely. He's voiced by... George Takai, Mr. Sulu from Star Trek, and Filoni, he does the best impression of Takai in this. Really, the first time I met George was actually at the Clone Wars record, and, uh, you know, I showed him the character design, and he he remarked, Ah, once again, I've been cast fat. I must have a very fat voice. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my. (laughs) All I remember is from back in the day, Howard Stern used to have, and I mean back in the day, like pre-serious radio, Howard Stern, they had a sound clip, you know how Stern does, pulls their sound clips, their their sound drops. There was just this one sound drop of George Takai laughing, and it was just always the funniest thing. They always <laughs> used it in the like most perfect times, and I do it to myself. I have no idea if it sounds like that, but I'm always, whenever I'm like, ah, 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 ah. That's just George Takai <laughs> laughing, and it makes me laugh. I don't know if it sounds like it, but in my head, it sounds like him. I love that dude. Yeah, he rules. In episode 15, there are these blue-skinned people. They're Pantorans. They're from Pantora, which is a moon of this ice planet, the one I was talking about, where they have the weird jello hoods. Yeah, Plutonia is is the name of the planet that they're on. The Pantorans are the same species as the character that George Lucas played. Many people don't know this, but George Lucas played a character in Revenge of the Sith at the opera coming up the stairs in that area right there called uh, Baron Papanoida. If you search George Lucas on like Wikipedia, you'll see, you know, you just go down to appearances. You just click through the links and you'll see a picture of him. These characters are fully modeled of of course you know same species but kind of modeled after the look of that and i thought it was pretty sick i love these names what do you think papanoida has any is it derived from paranoid or is it more derivative of papa Uh, it's probably what do you call it when you mash up two words like that (laughs) i don't know like papa george is paranoid about all this stuff yeah (laughs) it's got to be both in episode 18 god i'm so bummed that ryan's not on this episode to talk about how much he loves this reference (laughs) we actually get to see the angels from the moons of Iego that Anakin mentions in the Phantom Menace when he asks Padme if she's an angel. <laughs> you see him for real. My, I use that gif frequently. Are you, Are you an, an angel? angel? Oh, that's a good gif to save. Anytime anyone's doing something nice or you could use it sarcastically, <laughs> it's great. 
episode 19, Ahsoka calls for a move because Ahsoka's in charge. We should have mentioned this too. Some really good stuff in episode 19 where Ahsoka's in charge, a bunch of clones die, and it's on her. It's her fault. There's some really awesome character building stuff in there. But the move that she orders is to have the Jedi cruiser kind of go sideways, almost like it's sinking in space, sort of. And they modeled this maneuver after something that Thrawn did in the Timothy Zahn novel, Heir to the Empire, the now Legends novel from the 90s. And Filoni said that as a kid, of course, he was obsessed with it. He read it over and over. And he said immediately after reading that, he went and drew a Star Destroyer doing that, uh, that kind of sideways move. That's cool. I think that of all the Filoni behind the scenes interviews and all this type of stuff, I've never really heard him talk about reading Heir to the Empire. It makes sense that, you know, he brought him into, he brought Thrawn into Rebels. So I'm sure he's familiar with the character, but I've never really heard him mention specifically Heir to the Empire. Yeah, I thought that was so dope. Last one in the den, the second of, of the two Raiders of the Lost Ark references, Wat Tambor, who is the, the character from... Is it episode two or three? The one that he's got kind of like a like a cinder block shaped green head, and he's got a, a big resp- a chrome respirator kind of thing on, kind of googly yeah, eyes. What are they called? The- he's from the Techno Union. Techno Union. That's what it is. Yeah. yeah. Point being, he he shows up on Ryloth, and he's he's taking a bunch of their shit, and they're loading all this treasure onto his ship, and one of the treasure chests that they're carrying is straight up a knockoff of the Ark of the Covenant from Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah. On purpose, that's two yeah. Indiana Jones references in, in season one of the Clone Wars. I back it. Yeah, they could do it. Why not? All right, let's move on. I love you. I know. So we did something that we can only do with a series like this that has a finite number of something to poll people on. So we polled the patrons on favorite episodes from the series. We gave them all 22. We also gave them all 22 title cards. Because as you probably know, if you've watched The Clone Wars, each episode starts with with a title card in the style of a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. And it, it tends to be, it's very quotable. I see, see these as quotes as much as any quote of the week we've ever done. And they tend to say a little bit about the episode. And it's good stuff. It's some of the best. They're, they're almost like little like fortune cookies. You know, yeah. like little yeah. pieces of information. And like you said, they, they do have something to do with like the overall plot of the episode, but they are, they're fortune cookies straight up. So let's, I guess we'll do this just like we do the other stuff. We'll pick our favorites. Then we'll give you the polls. We'll do favorite episode first. Nick, you want to go? Yeah. My favorite uh, episode of season one actually is Jedi Crash. I do really like seeing Ahsoka with... Isla Sakura and getting kind of a little bit more of a, a lesson from another Jedi. And I just, I love this back and forth of what it takes to be a Jedi during this war, because to win this war, you have to bend the rules. And I think the the, the bending of the rules that the Jedi have to come to terms with, you get to see that in this episode very well. And I'd just like to see that Ahsoka figures out how to bend the rules where she doesn't have to give up on her master and she figures out a way to protect the village but also save her master, which kind of at the top of the episode, it's almost like there needed to be one or the other and not both, but she figured out a way to do both. I 
I lean heavily, of course, towards anything Ahsoka. So that episode, that's up close to the top for me, for sure. Man, and ev- everything on Ryloth is awesome. 19, 20, and 21 are all great. And then that damn Lair of Grievous episode is so sweet. I'm not even a Grievous fan. Yeah. But his backstory made it so much cooler. But I think I'm going to, like, again, even though I lean heavily towards Ahsoka at all times, I'm going to go with episode 16, The Hidden Enemy, about the clone who, <laughs> clone gone wild, who, <laughs> who defects. I, I guess because it surprised me so much in retrospect, it is surprising that stuff about the clones is what I connected with most. I didn't expect anything out of the clones. So that one was really cool. And I don't want to repeat too much of what we said before about the clones as individuals and all that kind of stuff and how it's good character development. But it, I mean, that's it straight up. The fact that not only they're individuals, but they're divergent enough as individuals from the clone program that some of them can fully try to take on a whole other type of life. And the, the coolest thing about this that we didn't even mention is that the dude who was trying to defect essentially slick is terrible sleazy name for him because yeah. ultimately he thought he was doing the right thing he was trying to kind of like liberate his brothers he didn't want any of the clones to be taking orders from the jedi anymore he wanted more for everyone so it's just a great example of exactly what we talked about before there being no true right or wrong even though he's quote the bad guy in this episode he thought he was right he had the best intentions just not approaching it the best way i guess I don't know. I, I love the complexity. So that's that's yeah. my favorite episode. I like that. I mean, the, it's such a hard thing when we go back to this overall, like, how can you be the defenders of peace and justice if you're literally a general in an army? And it's like, if the opposite of what you're doing literally leads to death and anything surrounding death, it's like, that's the wrong side and you it, it has to be defeated. It, there's no equivalency when the other side literally means people have what they need, people are happy, peaceful. If the opposite of that is war and death, then that's the wrong side. So right. I understand that there needs to be both sides to this, but one is obviously the bad one. <laughs> it's the wrong right. one. Yeah, there's It's the false equivalency type of thing that you see in like politics right now. It's like, well, what about this? What about that? I'm like, that's not the same thing. We're talking right. about one side literally wanting to, I don't want to get into politics, but one side, everyone's going to be okay. The other side, not everyone's going to be okay. Which one's, right. which one do you want to be on? Right. All right. Let's go. Let's actually, let's do our favorite title card as well. And then we'll, we'll, we'll give you both of the, the Patreon polls after. Uh, my, my favorite title card, uh, there's a lot of good ones. You know, if you're not going to watch every episode, I at least suggest reading every single title card. They're, they're absolutely excellent. Uh, my favorite one, uh, I feel like I, I had the most, uh, the, it moved me the most because I feel like it had a lot to do with, uh, I don't know, a lot, a lot of times how I view myself. But on episode 21, Liberty on Ryloth, the title card reads, Compromise is a virtue to be cultivated, not a weakness to be despised. I look at that because I look at myself in a lot of different ways when it comes to being a band or friendships or whatever. I do think, you know, not every situation needs to be uh, a compromise because obviously some ideas are bad. Some ideas are good. You got to go with the good ones. But a lot of times things can be resolved by compromise. But compromise can also be seen as a weakness. 
And I feel like I've come across that a lot of times in my life where wanting to compromise and wanting most parties to be sort of happy instead of one side really happy and one side really unhappy. <laughs> I've, I feel like I've come across that situation a lot in my life and, and compromise to me ultimately is like a, a goal as opposed to crushing the other side and, and having someone only want to do what I want to do or or the opposite where I'm fully unhappy because this other side won the argument. It's like, well, what if we take a little bit of what you want to do and a little bit of what I want to do? And there we go. We're both sort of unhappy. And we're both sort of happy. It's a good compromise when both, both sides are a little bit unhappy. <laughs> My favorite, I apparently only have like one other person who agrees with me from the Patreon poll. My favorite is from episode 16, truth enlightens the mind, but won't always bring happiness to your heart. I get that. I like that. That's that harsh shit about reality and life. And sometimes that's what you need. <laughs> you need that harsh truth. Yeah. It's, unfortunately, that's not the way the world has been presented to us. You might feel good and you might know that you're doing the right thing and you're on the right side of history, but we're not playing that game right now. There's a different game being played. <laughs> The reason this appeals to me is because I've, the vast majority of my life, have been a, just a total science head, a science enthusiast. And I'm not one that believes in anything metaphysical, any afterlife, any higher powers, anything like that. And it doesn't make me feel good. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't feel, I'm not stoked about it. Yeah. I don't like it. I would probably feel better if I believed that something happened after death, aside from me going into a hole or being burned in an oven and then yeah. sprinkled in a stream somewhere. So it doesn't feel good, but it to me is the truth regardless. Yeah, no, I feel that. It's a fleeting sense of purpose. You know, sometimes you feel it, sometimes you don't, but it all is at least based in the truth. And you're, you're being true to yourself. But like this quote says, it doesn't always lead to happiness. But I'll take the enlightenment over the happiness any day. Yeah. All right. Let's hand out medals. Like we said before, we polled the patrons. We gave them all 22 of each of these. The choices <laughs> did not line up with our essential episodes. <laughs> well, so I that's, guess that's we the, should add these. That's the beauty of the Clone Wars, though, is like, yeah, we have our essential episodes as far as like character development, plot development to the overall Skywalker saga. There's fun episodes, too. It's just if you're an adult, you can't exactly spend like 10 hours watching animation. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's hard. So uh, what we're trying to do here is give you like that kind of Cliff's Notes version of what you need to know. Uh, from the Clone Wars, and if you have some time to maybe watch two or three hours of episodes, here's a couple. But it yeah. doesn't necessarily mean they're the best episodes. There's plenty of just fun Star Wars in the Clone Wars. So the winner with 16% of the vote, episode 19, The Hidden Enemy. Same as mine. Second place with 13% of the vote, episode 10, Lair of Grievous. Was I influenced? Was I subconsciously influenced by Might be. the polls? These are, these are definitely your choices. <laughs> Enlightened truth, liking <laughs> happiness. Favorite title card quote. We actually have a tie for first place. 16% of the vote for each. Episode one, ambush. The quote is, great leaders inspire greatness in others, which is so true. If there's anything we've learned... 
in recent years. If you don't inspire greatness in others, you're probably a shit leader. Yeah. You're probably not even deserving of the title leader. Yeah, I mean, you could be a leader and get stuff done, but maybe in more of a little bit of a dictator kind of sense, you know, like in a, a real bad cop, bad cop sense where you're just, you're getting things done, maybe not the best way where if you're a great leader and you inspire other people to do things and be better people, then that's the, the true mark of a great leader, I guess. And tied for first place, episode 17, Blue Shadow Virus, quote, fear is a disease, hope is its only cure. There's that word hope. Yeah, I, th- I feel like, especially this one, the people who voted on, on our Patreon page, maybe this is a, hitting home a little bit right now. Yeah. Because there is a lot of fear out there in the real world. And what do you do but hope for it to be better? There is no cure to like actually fixing the entire world, but you could hope that there is, or you hope that there's a path to, to peace and justice and equality and all these type of things. But you can only hope for that at this point. There's no, we got to do this, 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 and this, and we got to do it tomorrow and everything will be okay. It's just, again, that's not the game we're playing here, unfortunately. We actually have a tie for third place as well. So third and fourth, we have episode 15, Arrogance Diminishes Wisdom. These are all lining up (laughs) really well together. And episode 19, it is a rough road that leads to the heights of greatness. Like that one too. Yeah, that kind of echoes a little bit from the movie I Consider Experience Experience with Rex and uh, Ahsoka. It's kind of like you kind of got to learn how to do things and go through life a little bit and fail a little bit and pick yourself up and, and learn and then pass that on. So you get that Yoda kind of mentality there. And, and like I said, from the movies. Failure, the best teacher is. Yes. Failure and folly. That was a bad Yoda. Sorry. <laughs> um, Failure and folly. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, these, like I said, if you're, if you're not going to watch every episode, at least pull up these title cards and, and read them there. They're full of wisdom. They're probably all on Wikipedia, right? Yeah, I think so. I did so much uh, Wikipedia reading before I actually put in time on this or any of the old Expanded Universe stuff. It's a hell of a great resource. Yeah, it's really great. And how lucky are they that Wikipedia came first and they're like, well, we could do Wikipedia. I love a good pun. That's great. I'm about that pun life. (laughs) All right, that wraps up season one. And by the time this has been posted... We probably already will have posted the poll for season two. If you're not a patron, go to patreon.com slash thankthemakerpod. Become a patron. You can participate in these polls. Also, if you have been a patron in the past, before we switch to the monthly, there's a chance that you're one of the, I don't know, dozen or so people that haven't switched to the new tier yet. If you haven't done that, you need to, to have access to these polls because they're only for the current tiers. So do that. Pick the new Jedi tier. In a lot of cases, actually, for the for the two higher tiers that we had before, the new price is cheaper. So just do it. Just switch it over. Get the stuff that you're owed. Yeah, and we, we actually had our first little hangout uh, last week on Friday oh, yeah. with a bunch of uh, our Jedi tier members. And it was a lot of fun. We spent, what, like 90 minutes just chatting about Star Wars. It was a true hangout. Going off about what we... Uh, liked and didn't like about certain things and took questions. It was a lot of fun. We're going to be doing a lot more of that type of stuff in the future for sure. And movie watch alongs and all that type of stuff. So join that Jedi tier. Hell yeah. All right, Nick, you want to be the quote guy for this week? You found the quote. I'll do it. I'll do it. You could be the guy. <laughs> this is not a quote 
you'll find on a title card in a Clone Wars episode. <laughs> no. So here's our quote of the week. People are still asking me if I knew Star Wars was going to be that big of a hit. Yes, we all knew. The only one who didn't know was George. That's from our princess, Carrie Fisher. Good one, Mom. <laughs> I pulled up a, a whole list of quotes from Carrie Fisher, and that one made me laugh for sure, and I found it interesting. But her list, you know, uh, just Google quotes from her. There's great, great quotes that have nothing to do with Star Wars also. She was just, yeah. her brain was a special one. She was great. That's a fact. All right. If you're looking for the podcast on social media, you can find us on Instagram at ThankTheMakerPod, on Twitter at ThankTheMaker. My personal stuff is all at Adam the Skull. My Instagram, my Twitter is at Nick Bayside, and we fully, fully, fully have ThankTheMakerMerch.com up and running right now. We had a little bit of an issue with uh, a quality issue with our first store that we launched. So thank you guys for being patient. It's all sorted now. ThankTheMakerMerch.com. We have four designs up there. It's rad. Do it. Go there. Get a blouse. <laughs> You'll love it. And go to patreon.com slash thankthemakerpod if you want to get involved in the other stuff. Like we said before, thanks for listening. Until next time, may the force be with you. Yeah.